0: Uh, Exodus chapter 30, we're learning about the pattern for intimacy in the tabernacle. Uh, Don, if you can give me the main, no, just give me the main picture of the tabernacle with the uh, all of the pieces of furniture in it, if you could. There you go. So it, as you see, there is one way into intimacy. That's through Jesus Christ, that entrance to the Eastern Gate. You enter in through... Um, the door. He is the door. There is no other way. It is blocked other than that one door in. Once you come in, you hit that brazen altar where the sacrifice for your sin, judgment for your sin takes place. Christ took that on the cross of Calvary. We talked about that where he took the judgment that you and I deserve. After you get through that, you can choose to stay on the outer courtyard if you'd like, but we talked about going to the labor and even after our sin has been atoned for, washing and cleansing through confession and and a, and a daily confessing and coming clean, washing with the water of the word. and and getting a little closer to his presence. And then we enter in through that. that The gate is out here. The door is the next one. So do you see the eastern gate? I'm sorry, I called that the door, the eastern gate. And now through the door, he is the door. Um, And that, once you're in the door, we talked about the table of presence, uh, how... He is the bread of life. He's our sustenance. Do you know that he is the only thing that can sustain you? He's the only thing that will fulfill you. He is the bread of life. We talked about that table of presence being a place of great fellowship with him and how uh, we're going deeper and deeper into his presence. Do you see that? Deeper and deeper into intimacy. And that takes being intentional about having fellowship and oneness with him and eating of his word and and getting sustenance that comes only from him. And across from that was what we studied last week, the um, golden lamp stand and and how we talked about that was the illumination provided by the spirit. He says, my word is a lamp unto your path. Uh, He wants to give us illumination through his spirit. Uh, we talked about that lampstand being the only light in that dark, dark, holy place. There were no natural light sources in the holy place. There were no windows. Uh, and so that was the only light. We are, he is a light. He's the light of the world. And you and I, he says, now can go out and we can be, uh, we, we need to not hide our light under, under a bushel. We need to to display it for the world to see in this dark world. And now tonight, we're going to look at the altar of incense. That is the next piece of furniture that we hit in the holy place. Again, it's found in the holy place. We talked about how another name for the holy place is the the tent of meeting. That's my favorite term uh, because really, the deeper we get into his presence, we need to be intentional about meeting with him. As I said, we, we can decide that we're happy to be outer court Christians. We can be happy for uh, just the fact that our sins are forgiven. We're going to heaven. But I want more than that. I, I want to know what it means to taste of his presence, to bask in his presence, to tap into his glory. And that's the further into the tabernacle we go is a picture of going deeper with Christ, uh, one of the prayers that I pray all the time is, is take me into the deeper things of God. I don't want to go ankle deep. I don't want to go knee deep. I want to go in over my head. I believe that there are secret things of God that he wants us to learn. Not, not just the, the casual reader will learn those things. We have to go deeper into his presence to learn those secret things of God. And the Bible says that the, um, the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned, and the natural man cannot understand them. And I think outer court Christians are Christians that are happy being a natural man, Christians that don't yield to the power of the Spirit, that don't know what it's like to to really be under the power and the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And and in order to really discern the spiritual things of God, uh, we cannot enter in with our natural man. We have to leave him out. He's been crucified with Christ. He no longer lives, but Christ lives in us. The things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned, and the natural man cannot understand it. So the tabernacle, in my opinion, is a pattern for intimacy, for a deeper walk with Christ. We'll pick up tonight in Exodus chapter 30, but would you pray with me first? Father God, I thank you and I praise you for every person who made the effort to be here tonight. Lord, you see that, and you reward those who diligently seek you, and they're here tonight seeking you. And I pray, Father, that you would reward them with such a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might know you better. Draw us closer to you, Lord. I I pray, Father God, that every veil that has been trying to veil the eyes of believers in this place and unbelievers, I pray would fall off now. And actually, I command them to fall off in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that each one of us would see you like we've never seen you before tonight. I pray for supernatural understanding of your word. I pray for for supernatural insight and wisdom. Lord God, I pray that you would, you would just remove any hindrance that would keep us from, from going deeper with you. And I pray, Father, that you would teach us and guide us into all truth tonight. Thank you that your word doesn't ever return void. And so I pray, Father God, that that no matter what I say tonight, no matter how I teach it, that by the time it hits their ears, that it would have such a revelatory power, Lord God, that they would have an instant understanding and be able to make instant application to their life, I pray in Jesus' name. Exodus chapter 30, we'll begin reading in verse 1. You shall make an altar to burn incense on, and you shall make it of acacia wood. Remember, we talked about acacia wood being a picture of Christ's humanity. Acacia wood is almost indestructible, and so that's a picture of his humanity. A cubit shall it be in length, and a cubit its its width. It shall be square, and two cubits shall it be in its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with gold, with pure gold. And gold, again, is is symbolic of Christ's uh, divinity, his deity, royalty there. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides you shall place them on its two sides, and you shall, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put it before the veil, that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Aaron should burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations it is the most holy it is most holy to the lord now skipping over to verses 34 through 38 and the lord said to moses take sweet spices and i'm not even going to try to pronounce them and he lists the name of them with these sweet these sweet spices there shall be equal amounts of each and you shall make of these an incense a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for you, the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it, to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So, the altar of incense... We have all had experience, I'm sure, with incense of some kind. And uh, you know what it's like. You add fire to it and and smoke goes up and its fragrance fills the room. And it can burn for quite a a, a while. But while it burns, the, the fragrance from that incense fills whatever space surrounds it. And, and that is much like this altar of incense. And we're going to look at it a little deeper tonight. It's important that you know that there were two altars in the tabernacle one was on the outside one was on the inside both were made of wood but one was covered in bronze which we talked about was symbolic of judgment and the other was covered with gold which we talked about is symbolic of deity or royalty uh, divinity They were each named after the metal that covered them. So the outer altar was the brazen or the bronze altar, and it was in the outer courtyard, and it also was called the altar of burnt offering. We've studied that. It was a place of sacrifice. But the other altar on the inside is the golden altar or the altar of incense. And this altar was not a place of sacrifice, so to speak, but of worship and and as you know any altar is a place of sacrifice and so if this altar of incense is symbolic of worship what is the sacrifice taking place anybody a sacrifice of praise so, so that is the altar uh, of incense. And the golden altar, you can see, was located in the holy place, in the tent of meeting. And, and I like that word, tent of meeting. I told you that because it's a, it, it, for the Israelites, it was a place to meet God. It was an intimate place to meet with God. And if you turn over to Exodus 40, Exodus chapter 40, I want you to look at verse 26 and 27. Exodus chapter 40, verses 26 and 27. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil. It's important that you see that. It was in front of the veil. And he burned sweet incense on it. As the Lord commanded Moses. So the golden altar of incense was located in the holy place, but right in front, do you see it? In front of the veil. And so it was the closest, and this is important that you grasp this, it was the closest piece of furniture to the entrance of the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. It was the closest piece of furniture to the presence of God, to the, to the glory of God, to the Shekinah glory, if you will. Incense uh, burning on that altar is symbolic of prayer rising up, and we're going to get into that a little bit deeper as we go into this study, but, but you need to know that we are never closer to the presence of God than we are in prayer. I promise you that. It's interesting to me that that altar of incense, see how small it is? It was the smallest piece of furniture in the tabernacle. That tells me that our prayer doesn't have to be long and drawn out. It doesn't need to be filled with these and thousand fancy words. It doesn't have to be elaborate. God hears our prayers. Doesn't have to be lofty and go on Forever. As the priest entered that, that holy place, the meeting place, uh, just picture as he walked through that, that, that door, as he came into the holy place, he would have seen the, the table of presents off to the right, uh, and, and, and off to the left would have been the, Don, if you can, there you go, would have been the menorah or the, the golden candlestick, but directly in front of the priest That would have been the place uh, where uh, this table or this altar of incense would have been found. And if you kept going, you would bump into the Ark of the Covenant. You would bump into the Shekinah glory. Just right behind that veil, that's what we're going to study next week, right behind that veil was the Shekinah glory. It's so interesting to me that, that all of those pieces of furniture are found together. You see, I'm thinking about if that, if that altar of incense really is symbolic of intercession, of our prayers going up, you see, as, as that incense would have been lit, smoke would have, it actually had uh, uh, some, some spice or some herb in it that, that, that would cause the smoke to be seen. One of those herbs, that, one of those spices that we read actually caused the smoke to go up. It would have been visible. And, and that's important because the priest would have, would have known that it was symbolic of their prayers going up into the heavens going up that the, the 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 smoke would have filled remember isaiah said and the smoke filled his temple it would have been the incense filling filling his temple And so imagine the priest that would have been in there, and and the smoke would have filled that holy place, and it would have permeated that veil, and it would have gone into the very presence of God. It's such a picture, church. Think about it. It's a picture of our prayers. And even though we don't see heaven, our prayers, it's a picture of us. It's symbolic of our prayers rising up into the presence of God. And even though we can't see heaven, even though the priest couldn't see behind that curtain... It would have been the picture of, of that smoke permeating that that veil getting into the very presence of God. The presence of God. God was present. In that place, it's why he told them to build a tabernacle. Today, I was out with my mother-in-law working, and, and she was asking me what I was going to teach tonight. And, and she, was, she was telling me about her, her recent visit to England and how she has so many regrets. And she says, oh, Ria, it's important that you learn this from me. He, she said, don't wait till you're my age. She said, I, I have so many regrets, and I can't fix them anymore. And I said, "Well, tell me about some of your regrets." And and she, she began to tell me. And I said, do "You know what? What I'm working on right now in my life, Jill?" I said, "I'm working on being present." And she said, "What do you, What do you mean by that?" And and I said, "Well, I have so much going on in my life. My life is is so busy. It's it's way, 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 way." Way too busy, I, I have too much going on in my life, and i 'm aware of it and, and even when i 'm having conversation if i 'm talking to sandy in my mind i 'm thinking about five hundred million things that I have to go on and and, and, and i can 't really be present with somebody because my mind is is going and thinking about I have to do this and don 't forget to do this and, and it 's really important that you remember this and i 'm already way over here, even though i 'm having a conversation with somebody here and i said i 'm working on being present, turning all that off and just really focusing on the person that's in front of me. And and she said, so you're teaching on the altar of incense tonight Ria. I said, yes. And she said, isn't it just wonderful that God is always present? That anytime you make up your mind, you want to be with him, he's present. He's there. He's available. He's not too busy running the universe. He's present with you. He's present. He's present. The dimensions of this uh, uh, altar of incense were very, very interesting. If you, if you look at Exodus 30, it, it says that it was one cubic. Remember, we talked about the cubit, what well, was from the pointer finger, from your longest finger, to, to the end of your elbow. So, this long. This is one cubit, okay? And so the altar of incense was one cubit by one cubit, and it was two cubits tall. So put two of this together, and that's how tall it was. So it was not a very big piece of furniture. Do you have the picture in your mind? So one cubit this long from here to here, square, four corners, remember? The picture of our, our uh, God's, Christ's intercession Touching the four corners of the world. It's a picture of, of the, the prayers from the four corners of the world being able to reach heaven. And, and so, but it was a small piece of furniture. It was only Q, two cubics high. And so think about it. This is actually a very, I I don't know that that is a perfect picture of how tall it would be, but think about it. Even if it was that size and the priest was bringing in incense to put on it, he would have had to stoop. He would have had to bend to put the incense down. Oh, it's a picture of stooping in prayer, bending, bowing in prayer before the Lord. The purpose of the golden altar was, of course, to burn incense. The incense, as I told you, is symbolic of of intercession, of prayers going forth before the throne of God, and prayers... Praise is being offered to him. And we know this because of some scripture. Scripture always interprets scripture. And so the only reason I know that incense is a picture of prayer is because scripture mentions it. Turn over to Psalm 141. I believe we have this on the screen tonight. Psalm 141, verse 2. Psalm 141, verse 2. It says... David is out, or the psalmist is speaking, and he's saying, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So so David is saying there, let my prayers come before you like incense. Flip back to Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. It said, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Do you see it? Scripture is now telling us incense stands for the prayers of the saints. Flip back to Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. I told you in Isaiah, uh, the, the Bible says in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his glory, his smoke, the smoke filled the temple. And then we, saw, we, we see in the New Testament where John the Baptist's parents, uh, Zechariah went into the, um, he was the, the priest that was chosen to, to, uh, to uh, serve in the holy place. And, and the Bible says that when he was putting incense on the, the altar of incense, the people were outside praying. In other words, he was read, their prayers were being represented by that incense. So we see from these passages that there's a connection between incense and prayer. Incense burning and smoke rising up is symbolic of prayer ascending to God. And as the incense burning scripture tells us was to be a continuous thing, that's why scripture tells us that we are to pray without ceasing, even though the the priest would only offer incense twice a day in the morning and at night, the fire that was underneath that incense would keep that incense burning all day long, and it's a picture of us. I said to my mother-in-law today, how did we ever get, uh, pa- how did we ever stop doing these hours of prayer? You see, the Jewish people had three hours of prayer. It was uh, nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, and three o'clock, I think. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but but I, the picture uh, in the, and this isn't in my notes, but I think it's Acts chapter three or four, where Peter and John were going into the temple. The Bible says, at the hour of prayer. See, there were three Jewish times of prayer, and they would actually go to the temple for these hours of prayer. They were, they were set times of prayer, and that's where they saw the, 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 the cripple. He was crippled from birth, and he, he was asking alms, and Peter and John said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. That was during the hour of prayer. And I thought how our life would change if we still had these hours of prayer. Set times where we, we go into to God's presence for prayer. But we don't. We're lucky to do it once a day. But you see, the, the incense would have been the, twice a day. The, the, the priest would go in and he'd offer incense and he'd put coals from the, the brazen altar outside. He would take coals from that altar outside where the sacrifice was made, where the blood of that sacrifice would have dripped down over those coals. He'd put them in a censer. He'd take them back into the altar of incense. He'd put the, the coals from that fire onto, the, onto that altar of incense. He'd add the incense to it. And the whole fragrance would fill that room. Why do you think fragrance was important? Remember, open concept, open air concept. What's happening in the outer courtroom or the outer court? Sacrifices. What's included in sacrifice? Burning flesh. But what else? When you cut it, what's what's happening? Blood everywhere. Have you ever smelled stinky old blood? Can you imagine the stench in the air? Can all of those animals, even if you didn't kill them, all of the stink from the animals. I, I was raised in rural Pennsylvania. We had pig farms all around us. We had, had, had cattle everywhere. Uh, can you imagine what it smelled like? Manure everywhere. The farmers would put, we had Amish farmers all around us. They would put manure on their, on their fields in the, in the summer. Oh, my goodness. We had a swimming pool in our backyard. We could not even swim because the smell, the stench was so bad Uh, from the manure being on the field. Can you imagine the stench? Okay, let's get even deeper. So how, it's hot desert climate, is it not? How many tons and tons and tons and tons of people living in close quarters without secret or deodorant of any kind? Can you imagine the stench? Bible times, the, the it, it's commentators say that it would have been policy that, that in a king's presence there was always incense burning to cover up body odor or anything that would be offensive to the king. That was just a given. So how much more in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords presence, that they would have incense burning all the time. But can you imagine how that fragrance from that incense would fill the room? And even though the priest only put it on, are you with me? Are you staying with me? Even though the priest only tended to that altar of incense twice a day, the fire that was underneath it, the coal that was underneath it, would have kept it burning. What is the incense symbolic of? And when I am in his presence and I'm praying and I'm fellowshipping with him and I am talking to him and I'm being intentional about that time of prayer with him. Can you imagine being in a room with incense? Can you imagine what your clothing would smell like when you left that? And so if I was the priest and I was tending to that altar of incense and then I I, I was in the presence of God, I was offering up those prayers and, and, and that incense was filling the room and then I went outside to Karen... Would she smell it? She would know that I had been in the presence of God. She would know that I had been in prayer. There would be, it would be not, you would not be able to deny that that priest had been in, in the altar, near the altar of incense. That he had been offering up those prayers for the people. It'd be undeniable. Oh, church, come on. I'm just telling you, that's how we should be living our life. That we should be intentional about getting into his presence. We should be intentional about spending time in prayer, offering up those prayers. We should be intentional because I'm telling you, it lingers. It lingers. It lingers. It permeates a stinky world. But we have to be intentional. Intentional. The NIV says Aaron must offer. Over and over and over, it says must offer. Who has the NIV here? Do you see the, the word must there? It's in seven and eight. It says Aaron must burn fragrant incense on, ultra, on the altar every morning. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. He must do it. It's vital. It's important. It's mandatory. Oh, church, I wonder how mandatory prayer is in your life. Prayer should not be intimidating. It's just communion. It's just me talking to God. It's just me having conversation with him. Conversation is a, two-way, uh, is a two-way communication. It's not just me talking to God. It's me listening. It's me developing relationship with him. Leslie and I had a spat this week. We, we don't have them often. And Leslie hates confrontation. She hates it. And I don't mind confrontation at all. Because I understand that you talk through hard things because talking through hard things makes you even closer. It, it, it makes you go through some stuff together. It makes you get to the real stuff. It makes you be real with one another instead of just covering things up. And at the end of our little spat, I said to her, you hate this, don't you? And she said, "Yes." I said, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Because now you know a part of me and I know a part of you that you wouldn't know any other way. And we worked through the hard stuff and we came out on the other side and we are closer than we've ever been. And that is intimacy. I'm not interested in relationship without intimacy. I ain't nobody got time for that fake stuff. I work through stuff. I'm real. I'm vulnerable. That's what intimacy with God is. Means I on the way to church this tonight, I was saying to the Lord, I got some stuff on my heart, Lord. I just need to let go of it. I, I just need to talk to you about it. I need to tell you about it. I need to get it off my chest. And we just need to talk this through, Lord. That breeds intimacy, it breeds connection. I'm letting him know what it's like to be Rhea. Sharing my heart with him. Prayer takes us close to the presence of God, close to the glory of God. Are you drawing near to the presence of God in prayer? Exodus 30 says that the sweet incense, I love that, the sweet incense was to be burned every morning and every night. It was a a twice-a-day thing. And commentators say that it would have been burned at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. And that's really important. I told you that the Jewish people had three hours of prayer. I think it was 9, noon, and 3. But that's vital because Christ was crucified at 9 a.m. He died at 3 p.m. Isn't it interesting that those are the hours of sacrifice? Those are the hours of, uh, uh, of, of uh, the, the, when the incense was renewed. The golden altar should be an encouragement for you and me to have regular times of prayer. Only the priests added the incense. But while the priest was inside offering burnt incense, the people were in the courtyard offering prayers to God. Only the priest could do that. You and I, as we talked about, are the royal priesthood. We are priests. And that fragrance rising before God, it would have been a pleasing aroma to him. Our prayers are a pleasing aroma to God. So the priest would go out and he would get coals from the, the brazen altar, from the place of sacrifice. You see, we do not have a, a, a right to, to, to really be... Our prayers are not heard without that altar of sacrifice. Do you see it? And I told you that they would continue to smolder throughout the day, to linger throughout the day, as does the presence of God on us as we spend time in prayer. Hal Warren says the golden altar is not about paying the price for sin, but praying the price for intimacy with God. I'll say that again because it's so good. The golden altar is not about paying the price for sin. That's already been paid. But rather praying the price for intimacy with God. Prayer breeds intimacy. Scripture says in Exodus 30 that Aaron was the one who burned incense on it. Aaron was the high priest and, and we'll learn more about that in the weeks to come. But uh, I just need you to know that everything is symbolic of Christ. And Christ is our high priest. Aaron would have been a type of Christ. And in Hebrews 7, the Bible says that Jesus ever liveth as our high priest. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. To, to renew that incense. To, to be constantly praying and having his prayers rise before the Father for you and I. He is our high priest, continually tending that incense. He's not up in heaven doing nothing at all. He is ever living to make intercession for us. Notice in verse 3, the Bible says that there was a molding around the altar of incense. If you look there, what does it look like? Kind of looks like, you can't really see it in that picture, Don. Pull back to the other one. Uh, If you look there, if you see that crown of molding around there, uh, that, that was a molding uh, so that it didn't fall off. The incense did not fall off. But it's interesting, that word molding, if you look it up in the original language, it means boulder. but one of the definitions is crown. In fact, the, the King James translates it crown. Uh, Hebrews 2.9 says that Jesus is in heaven, the high priest is in heaven, crowned with glory and honor. A crown is also symbolic of victory, And it's a picture of the victory that we obtain through prayer. There is victory to be found in prayer when we war on behalf of others in prayer, when we intercede for others in prayer. Scripture describes the incense that was offered on that altar as sweet incense. That was interesting. I looked up all of the words that were used there. I wanted it to mean something. I, I, wanted, you know, I found one that meant it was crushed. I, I found one that meant it was drooping. I, it, I wanted to preach on it, but I couldn't get enough good stuff to give it to you. But just, just take it from me that it was beautiful, fragrant incense is what it really was. And, and it was made up of equal parts of sweet spices, and it was declared Holy. And it was interesting to me. That they said, it, even today, I was telling Dave, I was looking up some of those, those herbs and those spices, and you cannot even find it anymore today. There was one of them that was really plentiful by the Dead Sea, and now it, it is obsolete. They can't even find it anymore. Because notice what the Word says. The Word says, don't go try to make this on your own. Don't try to make this for your own perfume. Notice frankincense is there, and we use that for our own perfume. But it says, don't go try to make this but for your own, because you're going to get cut off if you do that because it's holy to the lord it's interesting if you look up that word incense it comes from the root word being meaning fumigation <laughs> There's my theory that it covered up the blood smell, that it fumigated the whole area. And and so, uh, as I said, it was placed in front of the veil. And and even though uh, the the priest could only go behind that veil once a year, that smoke would have permeated that veil and floated back into the presence of God. Would have been fragrant. Remember, Scripture says that we are the fragrance. We spread everywhere the fragrance of his knowledge in every place we go. We are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and the stench of death among those who are perishing. So so when we spend time in his presence, we we should come out of that place of intimacy with him, spreading everywhere the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. Notice it says that, that that incense should have been salted. I, I love that. Uh, salt was a preservative. And over and over, we see our words should be seasoned with salt. We, we see reference to salt. If you turn over to Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6, it says, Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, redeeming the time." Let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt that you shall know how to answer each one. The incense would have been seasoned with salt and it's a picture of our prayers being choosing our words when we're praying not praying carelessly. I, I'm telling you I think it's it's not ironic it's not a coincidence that that altar of incense and Lord help me with this is in the same room as as the bed, the bread of presence <laughs> The, the Word of God, the, the lamp unto my path, the Word of God, the, the picture of the illumination of the Spirit. Because I'm telling you, when we come to prayer, don't pray with your fine-sounding words. Make sure your words are seasoned with salt, that they're coming from the Word of God, that they're coming through the illumination of the Spirit, that you're praying God's Word back to Him. It says that incense should be seasoned with salt. Notice that there are horns around that, that, that altar. That picture is not correct. There are four, four horns there. The, the, the scripture, notice, only says one horn. We, we don't really know how many horns are there. Commentators, are, are, they have mixed views. Some of them say because the outer altar had four, cor- four horns on it, the inner one will as well. Some commentators say, no, there was only one horn. So, so we don't know how many horns. It's interesting that the word of God is not clear there. But here's what we do know. Horns are symbolic of power. Can I tell you, there is power in Prayer. Do you understand the power that's at your fingertips when you spend time in his presence in prayer? The horn is always symbolic of power. It's interesting that that horn got anointed, uh, got, got uh, sprinkled with blood once a year. It, it was atonement once a year. And I think that that, that, that was interesting because there is power in the blood. There's power in the blood of Jesus. And that's when I go to prayer, I'm constantly reminding myself of that. When I'm praying for healing, there is power in the blood of Jesus. There is power. And when I pray, I pray from that place of understanding the power that's at my fingertips. Jesus himself said, you don't have because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. What he was saying to them is, "There is power in asking. Ask. You don't have, because you're not asking. Do you understand the power that there is in prayer? It's so fascinating to me that the disciples, they had watched Jesus do all these miracles. They, they watched him heal blind eyes. They, they watched him heal lame legs. They watched him bring people back from the dead. Do you know what they asked him to teach them? How to pray. Not, Jesus, how do you heal people from, from, how do you raise people from the dead? Jesus, how in the world do you heal blind eyes? Can you give me the secret? They didn't ask for that. They asked him to teach them how to pray because they understood his power was coming from that connection that he had with his father. His power was coming through prayer. And this altar of incense is symbolic of that. That horn is symbolic of there being power in prayer. There's power in prayer. There's the scripture from Proverbs, Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. So it's interesting to me, if you look at scripture that we read tonight, it says that the priest should should bring the incense when he comes to trim the lamps. When he comes to light the lamps uh, in the morning and in the uh, twilight, he should bring the incense, and and so the incense should only be offered during the trimming of the wicks and the lighting of the lamps. And it can only be. What what struck me was that the priest would not even be able to see to offer the incense without the lighting of the lamps. The brightness of the light provided by that lamp uh, that. It was dependent, the lighting of that incense was dependent on how bright that lamp was. Oh, come on. What was this lamp symbolic of? Holy Spirit, illumination, okay? And the lighting of the incense, the placing of the incense was dependent upon the brightness of that lamp. Oh, the power that we have in prayer and to submit that prayer to the Lord is dependent upon our illumination by the Holy Spirit. Lord, guide me in this prayer. The Bible says that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray on our behalf. Do you know that scripture? And so sometimes you get to that place in prayer where you don't even know how to pray anymore and you need to let the Holy Spirit just take over and pray on your behalf. The priest could not seem to provide a proper offering of incense without the trimming of their lamps in that holy place. Oh, can I tell you the importance of trimming our lamps? getting all that, 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 what they would do is they would cut that black stuff off, and, and, and they would make the wick nice and clean so it would burn brighter. And oh, can I tell you, there's some black stuff that needs cut from my life daily that I need to keep my lamp trimmed so I burn bright before the Lord. And that incense, I can't see to properly offer it if my lamp is not trimmed. See, church, we've got to start being intentional about our relationship with God, about our intimacy with God. Yes, we're saved in going to heaven. Yes, that's a work of grace. Yes, we didn't deserve that. We can't do anything to earn it. But there's a place of intimacy that we have to be intentional about getting to. That doesn't happen just by, by, by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. It takes going deeper with him. Notice in verse 9, and this is what got me so much. I, I wanted to take a whole week and preach on this. I, I wanted to just say, forget the tabernacle furniture. We're just going to preach on this next week. But verse 9, it says that, that you should not offer strange incense on that, that altar. That word strange incense, the ESV says unauthorized incense. That's my favorite. Unauthorized incense. Turn over to Leviticus. Just back one book. Leviticus chapter 10, Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Now, this is Nadab and Abihu. They are the sons of who? Aaron, which would make them the nephew of Moses, okay? So don't think these are like nobodies. This is Aaron, the high priest, the right-hand man of Moses, tight with God, Are you with me? So don't forget who these two gentlemen are. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire on it, put incense on it, and offered profane, unauthorized, strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Lord, help me. Help me with this. You see, God said, this is how you're going to light the the altar of incense. You go out to the sacrifice, to the brazen altar. You take some coals that had been covered by the blood, and you bring them back in to the altar of incense. You put those coals on there. You put the incense on top of it. That is how it's done. And don't do it any other way, he says. Don't offer strange fire. Don't offer strange incense. Don't do it your way. I'm telling you, there is one way. And you see what, what what the sons of Aaron did. They said, you know, let's just take a shortcut. We'll just get our own fire. We'll do it naturally. We won't take it from that brazen altar. We'll just get our own fire. We'll do it the way we want. And we'll, God won't care. And we'll just offer it with the incense that way. And the fire of God came down. You see, they were offering fire which God had not ignited. Oh, somebody got that. I heard the moan. They were offering fire which God had not ignited. I came in here tonight really super duper tired. I'm tired. I'm weary. And I said, Lord, I have got nothing to offer them. I'm empty. I'm really, really tired. I need Holy Spirit fire inside of me to preach tonight. Do you know what scares me the most about being up here? Natural fire. Fire that God didn't ignite in me. See, there are some preachers that step up in the pulpit on Sunday morning, and they've worked to put three points and a joke together to make their message really fine-sounding words, and they've rehearsed it. There are some preachers that rehearse. They get in a pulpit and rehearse Monday through Friday, and then they stand up and preach on Sunday, so it's a fine-sounding message that tickles your ears but doesn't have any power behind it. It is natural power. Boy, is that a soapbox for me. That bothers me so much, I can't even tell you. That's what Aaron's sons did. They didn't take spirit-ignited power. God-ignited fire. They took their own natural fire. Church. I see some stuff in charismatic circles that worries me. It worries me. Somebody came up to me Sunday and said, "Miss Rhea, can I just talk to you about a couple things that I've seen in an old church that I went to? And she said, it concerns me. I said, I, I get what you're saying that would concern me but I said it's people who want so much to to work up a a crowd who, who so desperately want God to show up in this supernatural way that they really invented themselves. And here's the wild thing. God would actually show up like that if they just tarried, if they just sought his presence, if they just went deeper with him. But instead we're content to offer a natural fire A fire that's not been ignited by God. And it's because we haven't kept our lamps trimmed. We haven't offered that prayer. We haven't labored in prayer while we trimmed our lamp, while we ate of the bread of his presence, while we bask in his presence, while we let the Holy Spirit illuminate us. He says, don't offer strange fire, profane fire, unauthorized fire fire. Aaron's sons did it their way, not God's way. They did something for God, but they did it in a natural way. Watchman Nee says this, and I, I just, I'm just going to read you his whole quote because it was so good. I couldn't make it sound any better. He says, we should be burning for the Lord and hot. However, our hotness should not be natural, but spiritual. We progress from being natural to being spiritual by taking the way of the cross. Whatever we we are in the natural life should be crossed out. The natural man has already been crucified with Christ now our Christian life and walk we need to hold the attitude. Now in our Christian life and walk we need to hold the attitude that our natural man has been crucified and must be set aside. Since the natural life has already been condemned, we should condemn it today. We need to realize that our natural man has been judged by God on the cross on that brazen altar and for this reason it should not ever be regarded or honored. Doing anything in the natural is bringing strange fire. We must wait upon the Lord, be ignited and empowered by the Holy Spirit, set ablaze by him. We need to be alert coming into the supernatural presence of God in natural strength and natural ability. Because the Bible says that the things of the spirit are spiritually discerned and the natural man cannot understand them. I want you to see that the fragrance of that incense was not released until it was kindled by the fire. And the fire came from the coals of the sacrifice on the brazen altar. But once that fire was, was added, the aroma was spontaneous. It burns within us, calling us to prayer. The Holy Spirit is what heats up our prayers so they're not cold and without power. I want you to see that without the fire, that incense had no aroma. Without the fire, that incense was hard. Even if it was crushed, it still was not emitting the aroma it needed to emit. It was only when the fire was added. Oh, church, when the fire, the Holy Spirit fire is added to our life, we release the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. And those prayers rise up Within us, Jude 20 says, but you, dear friends, by building yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, we don't even have the ability to offer up that prayer of that incense of prayer without the Holy Spirit. I want you to see in verse four that there were two gold rings on each side uh, of this golden altar. And the gold rings, as we've talked about many times, made the furniture mobile. They speak of, uh, uh, of the mobility of the altar. And can I tell you, church, that our prayers are mobile. We can take them wherever we go. God hears our prayers wherever we are at. Charlie Garrett says, the table can only be carried by two poles, not just one. I love his view here. He says, it teaches us that we should, that we should either or both testaments of the Bible be removed. We, we would not have a proper presentation of who Christ is without both of them being present, the Old and the New Testament. Without one or the other, we would have a faulty view of him. And without either, we would have no knowledge of him. He's saying that those two rings, which were symbolic of that altar being mobile, was also symbolic of, of the, the Old Testament and the two. And that's what carried uh, that altar of incense. Can I tell you, that's what carries our prayers. Yeah, I, I will ask anybody that prays with me, ask my team. I, I meet with my team every Friday morning. We study the Word of God in depth, do we not, team? I hold them accountable. I wanna know what they're studying, I make them bring their notes. I make them be prepared. If they're not prepared, I will confront them. Because what I want to know is that they're in the word of God. Because when they pray for you, I do not want them praying their fine-sounding words. Because their fine-sounding words do not have power. I want them to open their mouths and the word of God come pouring out of their mouth. Because that is what carries prayer. The word of God carries prayer. It's what makes it mobile. It's what makes it penetrate your heart and your mind, my heart and my mind. Do you see it? Do you see it? And so that altar of incense is symbolic of the prayers of the saints going forth. It's symbolic of our, our high priest Christ in the in the heavenlies, ever living to make intercession for you, constantly praying, constantly, that, that incense, constantly going before the Father for you on behalf of you and I. Are you offering that sacrifice, that offering of prayer before God? Because that tabernacle is symbolic of intimacy of a pattern for intimacy, a pattern to go deeper in Christ. I promise you, hear me. If you want to stay, Don, give me that, that big picture of the, 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 the whole tabernacle. If you want to stay in that outer court, dear one, you're inside the gate. You're inside the gate. You're headed to heaven. Rock on with your bad self. But I'm just not content out there. I am not. I I want to go deeper. I I want to go deeper into his presence. I want to know him better. I want every last thing he wants to offer me. I just do. You say, you are bizarre. Do you know what's most bizarre? Is that brazen altar out there. What's most bizarre is that Christ would love me enough to give himself up on that. To die for me. Now that's Bizarre. That an innocent man would die for a guilty one and call it love. That's bizarre. And so you know what? Call me bizarre because I will lay down my life for the one who laid it down for me. And I don't care what I appear to anybody else. All I know is somebody that would love me that much. I've chased after some men in my life. I've chased after this one to catch him. Can I tell you? I've chased after some. Ones that have left me, ones that have abandoned me, ones that did not love me well when I caught them. But I have found the one my soul loves. The one who will never leave me, the one who will never forsake me, the one is faithful even when I'm faithless, the one who is trustworthy, the one who never ever lies to me, the one who can be relied on, the one who is always there, the one who loves me with an everlasting love. Oh, I'm just telling you what, that's the one I'll chase after and I will lay down my life for him. So call me bizarre, but I'm going deeper with him. I'm going up higher with him. I cannot stay out in that stinky courtyard with everything else. I can't do it. I want to know his presence. Because in his presence, hallelujah, is fullness of joy. It's fullness of joy. If you're here tonight and, and you don't have fullness of joy, but you're saved, it's probably because you're staying in that outer court. And you've never tasted the glory of his presence. I want to encourage you to go in deeper.